the medical society talks is that each year past a certain point, we lose a certain amount of bone. That doesn't mean we have to lose that kind of bone. It has the ability to regenerate itself and bring itself back up closer to that genetic potential, even at a later date. There's never been a single study showing that a diet of food, no matter how many calories are eaten, has ever been able to achieve micronutrient sufficiency. Just get a DEXA scan, especially in your 20s, early 30s, then you'll have that measurement as you're getting older. It really is easy to improve them and keep them strong as you age. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, this episode is truly a game changer. I talk about this in this episode, but I first became a little bit obsessed with bone health after I did six months of pharmaceutical chelation, which basically pulls nutrients out of your body. I was trying to pull mercury out of my body and I did that, but I also probably pulled out a lot of other nutrients and I got a DEXA scan about a year ago and it showed I had osteopenia, which was very upsetting. (laughs) Um, And I go deeper into that in this episode, but even if you don't think or suspect that you have osteopenia, osteoporosis, or you think your bones are in good shape, as we discuss in this episode, it is very, very hard, if not impossible, to get our full spectrum of nutrients from our food today. And our bones are so important, especially if you're in your 20s like me. That's when you are determining your peak bone mass. That's when you really want to be focusing on bone health. And then, of course, after that with age, our bone quality, our bone strength can be affected by so many factors. Please listen to this episode. I would love to hear your thoughts on everything. We dive deep into a lot of things, so there will be a full transcript of the episode. That will be at the show notes. The show notes will be at melanieavalon.com slash bones. I'll also put links to everything that we discussed there. I also have discounts for you guys for the Calton's supplements that they make specifically for your micronutrient and bone health. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash micronutrients and you can use the coupon code Avalon for a discount site-wide. I will also put links in the show notes to their multivitamin stack-up quiz and their osteoporosis sufficiency quiz. So definitely check that out. There will also be an episode giveaway for this episode. For that, just join my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm trying to be more active on Instagram these days. (laughs) We'll see how that continues to go. But that is at Melanie Avalon. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly honored and thrilled about the conversation that I am about to have. It is about a topic that is so huge. I mean, I think we could argue it's, in a way, the foundation (laughs) of our bodies. I get so many requests to do a show on bone health. And there are a lot of thoughts out there surrounding bone health. There are a lot of resources, a lot of places that you could turn to to address that. And 
I knew I had to find like the perfect person or people for that. And then I read a book called Rebuild Your Bones. Actually, that's a lie. I heard the authors of a book called Rebuild Your Bones on... It was some, I don't know, some podcast. It was probably Ben Greenfield or something like that. And then I immediately bought the book, read it. It was incredible. It was the most comprehensive overview of bone health. I learned so much about bones. I learned about what causes things like osteoporosis, how to support our bones. It was just such an incredible resource. I knew I had to bring the authors on the podcast and I am so honored that that is now happening at this moment. I am here with Mira and Jason Calton. Like I said, they're the authors of the best-selling book, Rebuild Your Bones. They've also considered, honestly, one of the world's leading experts on the topics of osteoporosis. You might have seen them before. They've been on Fox, on CNN. They have a monthly column in First for Women magazine. And what I particularly love about their view is what we will dive into in this episode is the role of nutrition, particularly micronutrients in bone health. So Mira and Jason, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for for having having us, us. Melanie. We are excited. (laughs) Excitement all around. (laughs) So to start things off, you guys have a really, really incredible story that I learned about. Mira, with your own history with it was osteoporosis, correct? Your journey with that and how you guys met each other. And would you like to tell listeners a little bit about your personal story and, and what brought you to where you are today and particularly your focus on osteoporosis, bone health, micronutrients, all of that stuff? Sure. Absolutely. So I was probably very much like so many of uh, the people listening right now. I was type A personality, overachiever, owned my own company by the time I was 30. I lived in Manhattan. I worked crazy hours trying to, you know, increase the size of my company. And I just started feeling run down at first. And then I started to get achy and my lower back hurt. And I just started, you know, like we all do when, when our bodies are trying to tell us something, we very often put blinders on. And my blinders were telling me, oh, you're working too much. Maybe just take a longer nap tomorrow or try to fit that in or stop wearing your high-heeled shoes. That's the reason your back hurts. And, you know, I love my heels, but at the time I, I stopped wearing them and nothing helped. That did not make my back feel better. By the time I turned 30, I was actually bedridden and I was running my public relations firm from my sofa bed. From the sofa in my loft, I was typing away, trying to pretend that there was nothing falling apart in my body. And the truth was that there was a lot happening. And when I finally went to the doctor, they looked at me and just like the doctor looked at me with just a blank face and just said, I don't know how to tell you this. And I can't explain why, but you are the bone density of an 80 year old person and it's not going to get better and you're not going to walk and you're going to be on medication for the rest of your life and you have to sell your company. And it literally was just, you know, took me, you know, Took everything, I, you know, just down. I just did not have anything left to stand on, and so I, you know, I did. I sold my company. I couldn't walk. My sister took care of me. I left New York City. I moved to Florida, and I had no idea why this had happened. But the only thing the doctor told me was calcium could help. So I did what all Type A personalities do when they can't walk, which is get on their computer and do a lot of research. I'm sure you get that. <laughs> oh yes, story of my life. <laughs> Exactly. You know, so I did. I was typing away calcium, calcium for bone health. 
And all I was reading was, oh, calcium's a mineral. No one taught me about that in school. Okay, so calcium was a mineral and I needed it for bone health. But then I was like, oh, dependent with magnesium and vitamin D and vitamin K. I was like, whoa, whoa, I don't know any of this stuff. (laughs) You know, I was a publicist. This was not my world. And I thought I had been doing everything right. I mean, I was fit. I went to exercise class once or twice a day. I thought I was doing everything right. And what I learned was that I was doing everything wrong. I found a doctor, a PhD who was willing to actually look at my condition. And he and I started looking at the micronutrients, these vitamins, minerals, essential fatty acids, and amino acids like the calcium, the D, and the magnesium that I had read about, and trying to put these in in a way in a new micronutrient therapy. And he took me on. And after two years, we went back together and got a DEXA scan, which is how you test for bone density. And I didn't even have osteopenia anymore, not even slight signs of osteoporosis anymore. And again, the doctor said, well, you're just going to get it back. You're going to get it back. You healed your bones, but they're just going to start breaking again. And luckily, it's been, what, 20 years now since I got that first diagnosis. So 20 years since then, I do not have osteoporosis. I've got no signs of it. And now the doctor, who is lovely, I must say, because I married him, he and I have worked since then working on micronutrient therapy for osteoporosis and for other health conditions, because we think that really it is at the core of so many of today's health conditions and diseases. Okay. I'm already smiling. Such an incredible story. Okay. So you got diagnosed. It was advanced osteoporosis originally? I was breakable. I was already breaking bones and I was only 30 years old. They told me I had bone density of an 80 year old. And how long did you say it was when you went back and got the DEXA scan? It was about two and a half years. I first took the first half year of being depressed and I'm doing research on the couch, which didn't get me very far. And then I met Jason and we worked together for two years. And when we went back, I had zero signs of osteoporosis. And now all these years later, because I obviously I already said it was 20. So that was, I was 30. I am turning 50. And at 50, I have no signs of osteoporosis. Okay. This is so incredible. And I think you already tapped into something that I think a lot of people are potentially confused about with bone and, you know, that's a foundational question to start with, you know, what is bone? Because I think a lot of people think it's dead (laughs) or, you know, like, like it's, you know, it just is what it is and then you lose it and then sorry. That's what they'd like you to think that it is what it is and you can't do anything about it, but that's not true. Yeah. Foundational question. And it's a simple question, but a huge question. So what is bone? So bone is really kind of made up of two different types of bone. We have our our compact bone and our spongy bone. That compact or a bone is on the outer side of the bone. That's that hard part of the bone that you see when you look at bone. And then the spongy part of the bone, the trabecular part of the bone, that's found in the inside. And it's that's more of it's kind of has a spongy honeycomb kind of appearance. And what I think a lot of people don't understand about bone is that it's made a large portion of it is actually made up of protein, specifically collagen. Now, obviously, we have, you know, calcium and phosphorus and all kinds of different things in that bone as well. But the idea is 
that when we're one of the big aha moments that we'll probably talk about later in this podcast that we discovered that actually Dr. Heaney, who was also a researcher in bone health, had discovered before he passed away was one of the big things that the doctors didn't tell Mira about her bone was it wasn't just calcium that she needed to get in. And we'll talk more about this, but she but protein is also torn down and broken down when we lose bone. And so protein becomes one of those key important factors when we want to rebuild bone or when we just want to keep our bones healthy. And like most people gain bone out up into their 20s. So that's like the key time, which is why if you have a kid right now and you're listening and you're saying to yourself, like, you know, I don't have to worry about this for my family because like osteoporosis is something people get when they get old. No. You can only really build the key amount up until your 20s. That's where the foundation is is put in there. So we want to make sure that everyone understands that's a really important time. If you do have kids, now is the time to start thinking about how strong can you make their bones so that as you lose that percentage every year, as you get older past your 20s, so that you have further to go before there's any problems. And think of bone not only as just being strong and hard, it has to be flexible. Right. And that's really key because some things make your bones really strong, but that makes them more brittle. So there's really two things. It's a push and a pull. You want strength and flexibility. So some questions about that. You just touched on it, like this, this concept of peak bone mass that we reach. Basically, is there like a potential for peak bone mass that we can reach? And then if we reach a higher amount, does that sustain us longer through life? And then on the flip side, if it's a higher peak bone mass, does that mean it's harder to keep it up then because there's like more to lose in a way? That's a weird question, but. No, no, I see where you're (laughs) going with it. And, you know, so I think the idea is we're all genetically different, right? So some people are more, and we'll use the word predisposed to osteopenia or osteoporosis because they may be more slight just genetically, right? So they may, maybe they weigh quite a bit less and their bone density naturally is quite a bit less than somebody else. But that doesn't mean they have osteopenia or osteoporosis just because their bone density is a little bit lower naturally. When we're talking about your peak bone mass, we're talking about peak bone mass for your genetic potential. And for, and for almost across the board, peak bone mass for your genetic potential is going to put you at a point on the DEXA scan where you are not osteoporotic or oste- have osteopenia right? So it gives you a high enough bone mass. Now, you know, the way that the medical society talks is that, you know, each year past a certain point, we we lose a certain amount of bone. And that's because, you know, when they're looking at people eating the standard American diet and living a lifestyle like what we have created here now in the 21st century in America and in in an all kind of non-third world countries where we are eating a specific way and we're acting a certain way, that's kind of the average. But that doesn't mean we have to lose that kind of bone. And in fact, we have people in their 60s and 70s and 80s following the program gaining bone mineral density in their 70s and 80s following this program And that just shows that our bones are a system like other systems in our body. The skeletal system. The skeletal system, like our cardiovascular system or our nervous system. The skeletal system is its own system, and it has the ability to regenerate itself and bring itself back up closer to that genetic potential, even at a later date, you know, a later age. This is so fascinating. And comparing it to the skeletal system, because I know with muscle, you know, we're constantly breaking down and then rebuilding muscle. Is bone broken down and rebuilt on a similar timeline or is it is it more different? Like 
I know you talked about in the book that like with protein, that it can't just pull protein from the bone. You, you actually have to like break it down. And that's why it's so important to get protein because you have to rebuild it up. So when it comes to bone, like how often is it getting broken down, rebuild up? Can things be selectively leached from it? Or is it really always like a, a breaking down process? So again, great, great question. So there's two ways. So in the muscle, right, when we break down muscle, you know, we only grow muscle when we go to the gym and we break it down. And then that rest period in between, we have to make sure that we have enough protein and enough nutrients there in order to bring it back up to where it was and a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. It's somewhat similar with bone. The bone goes through, you know, we have what's called osteoclasts. That's the cells that dissolve kind of and break down old, worn out bone that clears that kind of old bone away. And then we have other cells called osteoblasts, which build new bone. So osteoprosis is just osteoclasts, you know, clearing away more old bone than osteoblasts are building. So what we want to do is we want to try to create a balance where the osteoblasts are either, you know, building new bones at a relatively equal rate to the osteoclast breaking it down and dissolving it. Or in the case of osteoporosis, our goal is to get those osteoblasts, you know, really optimized to the point where they're building bone at even a faster rate than it's being broken down. And it is neither are bad. No. Both are essential, are both but it's just making sure that they're working harmoniously in the body. I know we defined it a little bit, but osteopenia versus osteoporosis, what are the differences there? And so we talked about this before. I was debating if I was going to say this, but I am just feeling very led to at this moment. I got diagnosed with osteopenia like you, Mira. I mean, I wasn't like your diagnosis, but still it like completely freaked me out. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I was like doing so much research and just had to figure out what was going on with that. And we'll probably circle back to this because it ties in a lot to what we're going to talk about, but I did six months of pharmaceutical chelation. So putting agents into my body, which I looked at later, literally pull nutrients from your body. We'll discuss that later. Yeah, we'll get to that. So so I was like, that might've played its life factor there. It was for mercury toxicity. But so in any case, this definitely is very, very near and dear to my heart, very much invested in it. And I got a DEXA scan earlier. You're supposed to get one in your 30s, I think. Most people don't get them until their 50s with health insurance, which is so, so late. Well, yeah. I, well, I found out with mine because it's so interesting. I, I got the scan done and I got the results and I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I have to fix this. And so then I talked to my doctor and I was like, what I don't know from this scan is I don't know if I'm on the downward trend or the upward trend because this is my first scan. So I don't know if like after the chelation, you know, I don't know if it's gone worse or better. And I was like, so can I get another scan in like a year or six months even after I try certain things to see if I'm moving up or down and and insurance like doesn't cover it. So that's a question because I think most people aren't really getting DEXA scans, especially around, you know, 20s, 30s, unless there's like some dire reason to. So how common is it? Especially because you have biohackers listening to this. Like you guys love measuring everything. So go get it. Like literally, (laughs) unless you know your baseline, you're never going to know if you're gaining or losing. It would be like somebody getting on a scale one day and be like, oh, I don't know if I lost weight or gained weight. I don't know how I'm doing because I didn't know what I started at. Like you would never do that. You would never like do an N equals one experiment and be like, oh, I took all this supplement, but I don't know if it did the right thing or not. Like just get a DEXA scan because right now, especially in your twenties, early thirties, this is the time when you're probably still doing okay. 
Let's start with as soon as you can get it, go get it. Cause then you'll have that measurement as you're getting older. And if you're fine, you probably don't need to phone for another five years. But if you're not fine, now's the time to start monitoring. Yeah. The other thing about DEXA scans, first of all, they're not that expensive. I know insurance doesn't cover it. And I'm not sure what your your individual doctor is charging for this. But I know there's, you know, there's companies out there that have DEXA California. scans in machines that come over that in trucks that literally come to your house. And they're about $90, dollars in the in the in the in the doctor's office hospital, they might be as much as one fifty or two twenty five, but they're certainly not breaking the bank kind of a thing. And the other thing about a DEXA scan that people may not know is DEXA scan also measure your body fat. In fact, your in fact is one of the best measurements of human body fat. And so you may want to get the body fat at the same time as the bone density if you're interested in that and kind of kill two birds with one stone. But let's talk a little bit about what you touched on before, about what the definition of osteoporosis is as opposed to osteopenia. So the idea is osteoporosis itself literally means porous bone. So that's what it means. And WHO defines osteoporosis as a bone density that is what's called 2.5 standard deviations or more below what's called the young adult mean value. So a T-score of negative 2.5 or below that is considered osteoporosis. And a T-score of 1 to 2.5 is considered osteopenia. So, you know, when you have these scores done, I mean, obviously your doctor will explain them to you, but that's the difference. Osteopenia is just the beginning part or, or a less less loss of bone, and we're typically leading towards osteoporosis, although we have a lot of people who had had osteoporosis or advanced osteoporosis and now have made it back to that osteopenia state, and, but that's a state of increasing their bone mineral density because they're going the other way. How are they determining the standards if people aren't really testing it that much? And are people who are going in more likely to have osteoporosis or osteopenia, so that might even skew what's average or normal? No. For example, I've got three sisters that are older than me and a mother. None of them have any, and they go, they go whatever their doctor will let them for osteoporosis, you know, for DEXA scans and full exams because they love doctor's offices. So that's one thing we don't have in common. But they go every single time and they, they would skew it the other way because none of them have any signs of osteoporosis. So it's not, it's not that it, it skews it in one way or another. It's done... It's been done for you know a long time. This isn't a new science in any way. Right. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. And certainly there's a lot of different guidelines like, you know, a BMI, you know, for obesity or what have you, that would be, you know, a lot of people would look at and say, wow, you know, I have a BMI, I'm, you know, 200 pounds and I'm 10% body fat, but because I'm 5'8", my BMI says I'm obese or overweight. And I get what you're saying, but with, with, with osteoporosis and osteopenia, no, it is more it's more refined than that. And I mean, it if takes you, into account height, weight, all sure the size. And, and if you have, if you're below 2.5 on that standard deviation, you are definitely in that breakable, you know, in that, in that zone where you're going to, you have, you're at a much higher risk for fracturing the bone. And with, and that's what we want to really stop. We do not want bone to fracture. That's the point where, you know, even if you have this osteopenia at this point, and you think, well, that's probably not going to affect me. You're probably right if you're not out doing crazy sports and jumping and climbing and hiking and falling. But, you know, it can be as simple as, you know, God forbid, you know, you get into a, a basic car accident, whereas other people, you know, when they brace for that car accident, their bones are strong enough to be able to not break. Yours might start to fracture there just with that, you know, that impact. So 
There's all kinds of things that can happen. We just don't want to be walking around at 20, 30, 40, 50, at any age, really, with bones that aren't as strong as they could be because it really is easy to improve them and keep them strong as you age. And if anyone doesn't think that osteoporosis is a deadly disease or that it's not serious enough for them to take any real thought about right now in their life, just so you guys know, if you have osteoporosis and you fracture a hip, you are, what is it? Within the next year, is it? Yeah. More likely to actually pass away. I mean, it's literally one of these things that they've done studies on. When they look at people who fracture their hips, they have a greater instance of, and Jason will see if you can find the actual study for us, but of passing away within like the next year. Fact, 24% of women and men age 50 and over who fracture a hip die within 12 months of the injury. So again, we are talking about 50 and over, but there's a lot of people who are 50 <laughs> and over. And if you fracture a hip, you, we're talking, I mean, look at 24%, you have a 24% chance of death within 12 months of that fracture. More women over the age of 45 are in the hospital for longer periods for osteoporosis than for diabetes, heart attacks, and breast cancer combined. Yeah. The more likely chance of death, what is that from? Well, that's because, I mean, what, if you're over the age of 50 and you, you're breaking a, you know, this is a hip, okay? So if you break that hip because you're so micronutrient deficient, and remember, osteoporosis, like all disease, and if, you, if people are interested in, you know, our other books, they're going to learn that first and foremost, you know, we kind of, you know, we're kind of creating and helping to really perpetuate this idea of micronutrient therapy. That's what our main research is about. Now, obviously, we've zeroed in and focused in on osteoporosis in this, in this talk with you and in this last book, Rebuild Your Bones, because that was the disease that Mira had. But we have other books that go over all the other diseases from high blood pressure to, you know, heart disease to, you know, stomach issues, gut issues, all kinds of different things. And each and every one has a root in micronutrient deficiency. And so if you break a hip and you're at that age and we're so deficient in these micronutrients, your body, remember your body allocates micronutrients like in like a triage effect, right? So it's going to give those micronutrients to what's needed first. But if you're already low in micronutrients and now we have a broken bone, which is going to take priority number one in the body to be able to heal, it's pulling all those micronutrients away from other things in the body, heart health, lung health, muscle health, brain health, all these other things. And so you're literally functioning in this majorly deficient state while the bone's trying to heal. And that 24% of the time tips it into death. So micronutrients are so key in our health and bones are basically a fantastic mirror for what that state is in our body. Before diving deeper into that, so when I did get that diagnosis of osteopenia, my doctor wanted me to go on conventional pharmaceuticals for it. And I knew, okay, I can't, I'm like staring at the word. <laughs> I can't say it. It's phosphonates. It's phosphonates. <laughs> so listeners might not be shocked to know that I was like, I'm going to research that a lot. And I'm probably already a no, and I haven't even researched it yet. But then I did do some research and something that you just mentioned a little bit earlier, that this idea of brittle versus, well, basically there was this concerning findings with them that yes, they seemingly make your bones harder, but they're actually more likely to fracture, which is a sort of strange thing. They, they have the lucky, the lovely habit of actually causing your femur to snap, which I mean, like you're taking something and your doctor says to take it. So you take it. 
And the thing is, yeah, it might bring it up for a little while, but it's bringing it up in density, but not flexibility. And that's why those two things are so important because again, what they did in long-term studies and remind you, remember here that a lot of these drugs come out, but they don't monitor the person, you know, a long time after they've been taking it. And long-term effects show that it actually causes your femur to snap. And that's only one of them. The short-term effects are all sorts of things like necrosis of the jaw. Your jaw literally disintegrates. I mean, we've got two studies here. And I know that, you know, what I love about biohackers is that they love to see the research. And that's what <laughs> Mira and I, you know, we, we, you know, we try to get out there and we try to tell, you tell it like it is. But then we want people to take what we say and then do their own yeah. research. Look at the evidence. And a 2015 study in BMJ, which is the former British Medical Journal, confirmed that bisphosphonates are totally ineffective at preventing fractures. This is the number one prescribed medication for people like yourself with osteopenia and osteoporosis. And yet they found it was completely ineffective. Not, and in a 2017 study, a scientist at Imperial College of London found evidence that you, that the use of bisphosphonates was linked to these microscopic cracks, which makes bone more fragile and prone to break. Again, the strength of the bone or the bone density may increase, which is which, what looks great at the DEXA scan, <laughs> right? You go in the doctor and, oh, look, the drug's working. Problem is you get these microscopic cracks, which then makes it more prone to break. And this is and not what we want. And that's literally the best of the drugs. <laughs> like when we started researching these drugs, because that was the other thing the doctor gave me after my diagnosis, just like you, Melanie, I was given a prescription for bisphosphonates, which again, I didn't take. So I did it the completely natural approach, but that's one of the better ones. I mean, if you look at them, some of the ones are black boxed which means that literally they're dangerous drugs. They have not been long-term tested. They are, you can only take them for very short periods of time because science literally cannot tell you if it's safe to take after that period. And the amount of time, everything that you gain within that short amount of time will go away the minute you stop that drug. Well, that's great if I only want for the next 24 months that I'm allowed to take this to have good bone health. But what happens in the next 24 months when I'm not allowed to take it anymore? Then my life goes back to hell again. So, I mean, these are just like Band-Aids. And on top of that, most of these drugs deplete you of the very same micronutrients that you need to heal your body. Many of them leaching calcium from your bone, many of them causing problems with your magnesium levels. So again, if they're asking you to choose a solution, which is actually causing the problem. If you're going to do it, at least read up on it like you did. <laughs> Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples. 
meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Hi friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold control. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. 
It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted. And it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code MELANIEAVALON to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just gotta upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. Originally, I think he prescribed whatever's like the number one bisphosphonate. And then I was like, nope. Got Fosmax, Fosreclass. Probably Fosmax. Oniva. It was that one. Yeah. And then um, I was like, nope. And so then I did some research and I was like, okay, maybe for Teo, which was like a slightly different mechanism of action, I had to like convince him to prescribe it and he was not down. And then I did more research and I was like, never mind, change my mind again. <laughs> um, so here we are because there's potentially another approach. So micronutrients, why are we so nutrient depleted today? And can we just take micronutrients? What are the problems there? Like, why is it so hard for us to be replete in micronutrients? Yeah, well, this is a, it really started in the 20th century and has now become a major 21st century issue. We get people, you know, all the time asking us, you know, is it possible to be what we call micronutrient sufficient, no matter you know what diet would get us there. Is there a diet? Is there a way to be sufficient in micronutrients, period, from food alone? And that was a good question. You know, I have to say, you know, you know, 15, 15 years <laughs> ago when that question kind of was was at the forefront of my mind when we started doing this research, we asked that same question and we really looked at it. And what we found is the short answer is it turns out no. There's never been a single study ever published showing that a diet of food, no matter how many calories are eaten, has ever been able to achieve micronutrient sufficiency. Okay, so a bunch of nutritionists were asked to come up with any diet, and they were allowed to use a computer program for this. So they were asked to come up with any single diet that would reach micronutrient sufficiency. And I think it had to be between 2,200 and 2,400 palatable, like an edible meal for an entire day, like a menu. And they were allowed to get, use the computer to find this perfect diet. Yeah, it was actually published in the Journal of the American Dietetic Association. And it's titled Problems Encountered in Meeting the Recommended Dietary Allowances for menus designed according to the dietary guidelines for Americans. So that's the title of it. And Miro was absolutely right. They said as long as it has between 2,200 and 2,400 palatable calories. Now, again, that's not exactly on a diet, right? That 2,400 calories is a lot per day. That was the only thing they had to do. And they had the computer system set up to be able to do it. And yet, according to researchers, they were not able to do it at all. These dietitians could not create a micronutrient sufficient diet with that as their primary goal. And not only that, then, then we took it another step. Then, then in my study that was published in the Journal of International Society of Sports Nutrition titled Prevalence of Micronutrient Deficiency in Popular Diet Plans, we took a look at, is it possible 
through diet alone to try to get the number of, to try just to create sufficiency, just basic sufficiency in micronutrients. And we looked at a low carb diet. We looked at Atkins. We looked at the best life diet. We looked at the DASH diet, which is that diet, you know, against uh, stopping hypertension. We looked at a paleo diet. We looked at a primal diet. We looked at the South Beach diet. So a full gamut of different style diets, some of them eating up to six times a day. And yet on average, they were 48% deficient. In fact, you would have to increase your calories to over 25,000 calories a day in order to reach micronutrient sufficiency from food alone. And that is the 21st century problem. So ultimately, what we have to start to understand is, and I think this is going to change things moving forward now in dieting in general, is that we can't, we have to look at our diet, dietary philosophy is the cart, and we have to look at achieving micronutrient sufficiency as the horse, right? We need to put that first. We need to understand that no matter what dietary philosophy we follow, they all have pitfalls and they all fail to achieve micronutrient sufficiency, period. So if our goal is health in the long run, what we need to understand is we need to create micronutrient sufficiency which we, which we call the Nutribor system in our book. That's a whole new concept. And we feel that first and foremost, we need to make sure that you're getting your essential micronutrients that you need every single day. Remember, those are your vitamins, minerals, essential fatty acids, and amino acids. And then you build your dietary philosophy around that. And what's really, you know, just so freeing about that is that instead of somebody saying, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm a paleo intermittent faster who loves wine today, or I'm a vegan, or I'm a carnivore dieter today, what am I going to be five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now? The idea is those diets have flaws in them. There's a lot of good benefits too. But if we instead release ourselves from that and say, okay, no matter what diet I've chosen, I'm going to do the research. I'm going to look at what micronutrients are deficient. I'm going to take my micronutrient sufficiency test, my blood work. I'm going to see, I'm going to open my own eyes rather than just, you know, following it blindly, see where I'm deficient, fill those gaps, and that protects me. So if I'm a, if I'm a paleo intermittent faster who loves wine, I, you know, the paleo diet has been shown to be deficient in different, in different micronutrients. I mean, the research is out there. Yeah. I mean, one thing is while we're, so we're always food first people and the whole thing about being food first, first people is that's not where it ends. We just want to make sure that we're clear about that. It's yes, we're going to try to get in as many great foods as fit whatever our current nutritional theory is, because that changes over time, like Jason said. But then on top of that, we're going to look at our lifestyle because while we might be putting in all these great nutrients, we have to be aware that our lifestyle is depleting these nutrients from stress to EMFs to, you know, exercise, all these things deplete micronutrients, not even including the anti-nutrients that are in your foods already, dropping the nutrient levels down. So then even if you did a great job getting food in, you're still going to fall short because, you know... You have a life, you have a real life to deal with. So because you're down, supplementation is the key. And that's why supplementation is necessary in this world that we currently live in. It's such a conundrum for me because I, I so want to be like, oh, just, you know, eat food, get all your nutrition from food. But it just, I mean, it's just not, 
seemingly possible today. I get with our soil depletion, the state of how our food has become so depleted. And like you said, our, our lifestyles as well. And listeners, friends, you have to get Rebuild Your Bones because there's no way we're going to even remotely get to, <laughs> to all of the content that is in that book. And it has a full plan, recipes, all the science. So I'm just like plugging that. So listeners, get the book. So some more questions about the micronutrients and all of that. From food versus supplements. Is there a big difference in how they are interpreted or used by our body? Like you, you talk throughout the book about how there's a lot of problems even with supplementation because certain micronutrients, you know, they compete with each other. They need to be taken at certain times. They just have different effects in the body. So supplementation versus food, even if food is not quite enough to reach all of our nutrients that we need, does it not have the issue of competition and can we process nutrients better from food compared to supplements? So if we're talking about the typical supplement that you walk into the, you know, the drugstore and buy, it, it, it depends. It depends who's manufacturing it. But here's the thing. So food has, you know, we've been eating food for a long time. It has evolved over a long time. There is so much, there's so much in there in inherent knowledge in food that we don't even begin to understand yet. What we're starting to do is map out what is in the food and we're starting to understand how those micronutrients work together. You know, micronutrients are like family members. Just because we have a family reunion doesn't mean everybody's going to get along, right? I mean, there's a few people who get along and then, you know, Uncle Bill walks in and it's like, oh, the whole show's, you know, because Uncle Bill, <laughs> nobody gets along with Uncle Bill. And it's like that with micronutrients too. So the first thing I like to say is there is no food in the entire world at all that combines every vitamin and mineral together in it like a multivitamin does. Right. I mean, the idea of just taking every vitamin and every mineral and sticking it into a multivitamin and in a, in a one a day multivitamin at that and then giving it to you and saying, cross your fingers, close your eyes and hope it works. We know it doesn't work. Science already says it doesn't work. There's been front page articles in Times and Forbes and researchers all around the world have said the exact same thing. Multivitamins do not work. But what we have to understand is that the individual micronutrients. Each individual micronutrient, the calcium, the vitamin D, the K, every one of these micronutrients has thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of published research showing the benefits of that essential micronutrient. It's called essential because you absolutely must have it or you will die. I mean, scurvy was the deficiency of one vitamin, <laughs> vitamin C, and people died. Berry, berry, rickets, I mean, you name it, rickets, one vitamin, vitamin D, right? So you can die from a deficiency in just one essential micronutrient, let alone multiple. The research is known that these essential micronutrients are needed, but the problem is when they're put together in these multi-formulas, all of a sudden, a lot of the magic goes away. Not necessarily all of it, but a lot of it. And what we found through supplemental science really over the last maybe 20 years or so is that these certain micronutrients, like you, you alluded to, they compete with each other. We call them antagonists or competitors. So let's say, for instance, calcium and, and, and magnesium, for example, they are absorbed at the same receptor site. So if we're taking a food or a supplement that contains large quantities of magnesium and calcium, one will get in. Typically, it's going to be, in this case, it's going to be, you know, calcium. And then the magnesium trying to get into that receptor site will be either reduced greatly or, or maybe eliminated completely, meaning you can't even absorb it. So you can't get the benefit of it. And until you understand which of these micronutrients compete with one another and which ones are synergists, because there's others that help with the absorption, 
then we, you know, we, that we have to understand that and look at the science, that information that is there. And that's exactly what we did. So and then you can use that information yeah. to enhance absorption. Yeah, well, we'd like to say that we do love food. I mean, like you, I would love to say that just eat a great diet. It would be so much easier. Life would be blissful. But the problem is food has any issues. First of all, not only does it have the competitions Jason was talking about, but it has those anti-nutrients, which literally block the absorption of micronutrients, or they tear open your gut so that you actually lose micronutrients and spill micronutrients and can't produce micronutrients. So there's all sorts of problems with foods themselves. Also, it's hard for people, unless you've got really good gut health and have all the enzymes you need, to break down food into its usable portions. So if you're not breaking it down, a supplement that delivers the active form might be helpful for someone. So it's really, really important because a lot of people can't break down their nutrients anymore. It's especially hard as we age to break down nutrients. And so it really is important to add that supplementation because of all those natural pitfalls and to know which pitfalls you have in your life. If you eat a lot of things with anti-nutrients, your job is to understand which micronutrients you're putting in the crossfires because you're choosing to do that. And if you choose to do that, you better know that you need to supplement really, really smart to make sure that you're not putting yourself in harm's way. Yeah. And just for people listening to know, we have, we have this, the charts in the book where you check off what foods you eat, looks at what we explain what these anti-nutrients are so that you can see which micronutrients are being depleted, even over the counter or prescription medications so that you can, you start to create your own personal micronutrient sufficiency deficiency profile so that you can you can start to work on those things. I know it's a lot of information, but you know once you start to understand you know where you're deficient, you can start to focus on those things. I guess everyone's feeling a little stressed these days, so that's a really big one for micronutrient depletion. A lot of things stacked against us. Oh, but yeah, the charts in the book are incredible. I was like, so much information at my fingertips. Did you find anything that was shocking to you? Mostly a lot of stuff about. Well, the competition and stuff that we just talked about, some questions actually, because I have some specific questions about some of them, like calcium, for example, there seems to be a lot of debate about calcium supplementation and like the amount of research I've done on it. It's just like crazy. So many people say that it's really helpful. And then there's on the flip side, people say it doesn't help or it might actually make things worse. So like calcium specifically, what type of calcium do you recommend people supplement with? And for listeners, if they're overwhelmed or curious, Mira and Jason do have their own supplement lines, which is super amazing. So we can put links to all of that in the show notes. But like calcium specifically, what are your thoughts on the different types of calcium to supplement with? And is it hard to absorb calcium? First, I want to start off by saying that a lot of this negativity associated with calcium is founded. It's founded. The medical community is scared to death to recommend calcium to the consumer because they don't honestly feel that the consumer knows enough about how to take it to protect themselves because calcium taken on its own, if it's not moved out of the arteries and into the bones, can cause calcification in the artery, which is like arteriosclerosis. This is a dangerous side effect of calcium that is taken in, in too high quantities or taken just by itself in the wrong forms that don't have its synergistic micronutrients paired with it. So let's talk about that. So first you said, what's the best form of calcium to take for absorption? And we believe there's two basic forms that we like, and we actually combine them together in our calcium BMD product, calcium phosphate, potassium citrate. And the reason why we like these two are because they have that citrate 
element to them, meaning the gut needs an acidic environment in order to absorb calcium. This is why a lot of times they'll say you have to take your calcium with food if it's not a calcium citrate because they're trying to get, you know, all of that digestive enzyme in there, that acidity in the stomach to be able to absorb it. But calcium citrate brings its own acid with it so the body can absorb it readily. Now, absorbing calcium is a twofold issue. One, you need an acidic environment to do it, and we don't want to take it near food. So other forms of calcium, we're we not big fans of because remember, food contains other micronutrients, and those micronutrients may be directly competing with calcium. So taking it with food reduces your ability to, or a potential ability to absorb calcium. So taking it on its own in that citrate form allows the greatest potential, then we need to make sure we're sufficient in vitamin D because vitamin one and vitamin D's job is to help with the absorption of calcium. But the big thing, the big aha moment with calcium is to understand that the job of vitamin K2, its job in the body is to basically direct calcium out of the arteries and into the bone. So vitamin K2 is needed to carboxylate osteocalcin, which is in essence a taxicab that takes calcium out of the arteries and into the bone. If you don't have that K2, MK7 or MK4 in the right quantities at the right time in the body, it sits in the arteries and creates problems. So this is where people who like your people listening now, these biohackers, people who are interested in their health will do the due diligence, do the research to start to understand, of course, we take, we take vitamin K2 with calcium, but what we also have to understand is you cannot take a supplement like a calcium supplement with K2 in the formulation because research has shown that alkalized minerals like calcium and magnesium actually degrade K2 in the same formulation. All right. So, so, so it sounds confusing. Yeah, back up a little bit. Most multivitamins don't even include K2. No. Like that's if you're lucky, they may have K. If you read it closely, it's K1. Only K2 is the one that's going to carry the calcium into your bones. Now, K1 can be converted. A lot of vegans always tell us like, that's okay, I have K1, it will convert. It does not convert well. It does not convert in any way to what would be needed for bone health. So we wanna have K2. Now, most bone formulas have K2, magnesium, and calcium. We already talked about the fact calcium and magnesium together, big no-no. But then also, K2 with either your calcium or your magnesium is a no-no because if put in a formulation, a capsule, a pill, a powder, whatever, if K2 is put in with either of those guys, it degrades within, I think it was like a three-month period of not even being in that product anymore. So while it might still say it on the label, tests have shown that it is no longer in it once delivered from the manufacturer. Only one single form. And write it down, K2, Vital Delta. We spend a lot of money on our supplement to put K2, Vital Delta in there because it is the only one that has been shown to be able to withstand any of these other minerals that you know degrade it. So if you're going to have a multi-nutrient formulation, you must separate your calcium from your magnesium and you must have your K2 in there, but the K2 has to be in K2, Vital Delta. Oh, sorry, really quick. Is that different from like MK4, MK7, the Vita Delta? Is that a different? Vitamin K2, Vital Delta is an MK7, 
not an MK4. The problem with MK4 is the half-life is so short that you have to take it four or five times during the day to make sure that it's available when the body needs it. That's the problem with it. The great thing about MK7 is the half-life is much longer, so you only have to take it once a day. You also only have to take around you know 120 to 240 micrograms, whereas you've got to take about 15,000 milligrams of the MK7, which uh, MK4, which isn't hard, but the real problem is you have to take it multiple times during the day, up to four times a day in order for it to, to be in the body when you need it. But the other thing we don't want to do is take K with D. That's the other big problem we see. There's a lot of very good companies out there that have combined K with D, and that makes a lot of sense because K and D are both part of those fat-soluble vitamin family, A, D, K, and E, right? So D and K both needed for osteoporosis. They say, let's just throw them together. We'll do it at the same time. But they compete for receptor sites, same way some of these other ones do. So while we do want you to take D, we want you to take it separately. And while we do want you to take K, we want you to take it separately. The other thing people forget about D and K is that they are fat-soluble vitamins, meaning <laughs> if you don't have long-chain fats in your system when you take these in, you don't take it with a fat, it cannot be absorbed properly. But not all fats. Not medium-chain triglycerides, not MCTs. Long-chain fats, like from regular fat, like butter or coconut oil or the like. So it must be in place. And so many of these DK products that are in capsule form don't provide the fat along with it or tell people to take the fat with it at the same time. And most of the ones in liquid form put it in MCT oil, which then, again, they're not delivering the right type of fat. So there's a lot to it, but we go over it all in the book. So the fat delivery system, is it literally the, the transport across the membrane or is it on the flip side or? The long chain fats are what stimulate the bile acid and the bile acid is what helps to absorb, break down and absorb so that those fat soluble vitamins can be absorbed. Okay. So it's the bile aspect of it. It's the bile release, right? That's needed for the fat soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. So if you are at home taking vitamin D now and you look at your body and you're taking a capsule or even if you're taking a liquid and it's an MCT oil, no, you better be taking it with like a, at least a teaspoon, if not a tablespoon of like coconut oil or something at the same time if you want proper absorption. So people on low-fat diets are in trouble. <laughs> Might be in a pickle. Well, I called what I did was the perfect osteoporosis diet. And I don't mean the one to solve osteoporosis. I got osteoporosis because I lived the perfect osteoporosis diet. I was a low-fat dieter to a T. Like I had no oil, no dressings on my salads. I loved spinach salad, which has a lot of oxalates, which destroy bone health because it bleaches your calcium and your magnesium. And so I would have that every day with a fat-free dressing. So even if I put something on there that had nutrients, they weren't fat-soluble nutrients weren't entering my body. And then I worked out twice a day, which means I was utilizing my micronutrients so much faster than the average person. So you just have to really be careful. If you're not putting some fat on your food, you're not absorbing everything out of it and you're wasting your money. And also with the competition, so what is the timeline on that? Like can a person, if they are eating a meal that's really long, is it like no competing nutrients in the entirety of the meal? Like let's say like a, like a four-hour dinner or is it like you can have some in the beginning and then like an hour later have some? Like what's the timeline? 
So the way that we work with food is, I don't know if you've ever seen these shows like, you know, Naked and Afraid or, you know, these type of shows where people go out in the like alone in the wilderness and they try to survive. You know, nobody sits down to a plate of like seven different things on a plate. This is, again, a 21st century issue where we're, you know, bringing in foods from multiple continents across the world and we're eating them all together. We don't want people to start getting all worried about competition in food, you know, if you eat one or two things in the plate, you're going to be have a lot less likelihood of getting this competition. But we it's have already it's going to happen no matter what, because you've got more than just, you know, but food in and of itself, like we've said, the competition that takes place in food is there to protect you. Like a good example is in cod liver oil. OK, it has very high levels of vitamin A, which can be very toxic at a high level, but it also has high levels of vitamin D. So nature uses competitions in food almost as a break system so that it slows down the absorption of what could be a toxic micronutrient by using its natural competitor. That's how nature uses competitions for the most part in, in specific foods. When we're eating a whole bunch of food, yes, some more competition can take place. But the way we look at it is whatever you get from your food is kind of your baseline. And then we provide 100% DV or, or RDI, the, you know, the, the amount that we know the body needs through supplement so that supplements provide 100% what you need. Your food is going to give you that above Finish and line. beyond what you need, right? No matter what you get or how little you get, you always Because no one wants adequate. Line. We want you better than adequate. So we're giving you the RDI, which is going to get you adequacy, but we want you to thrive. And because your listeners are smart already, we know that they understand food quality and they're paying attention to making sure their engines run well. So because they know that, that's going to be the extra bonus. But without supplementation, they're not going to reach adequacy because every single diet studied has pitfalls. They're all different, but certain diets have higher anti-nutrient levels. Certain diets fall very, very short in specific nutrients. They all have different pitfalls. So getting that supplementation that gets you at 100% allows your diet to be the icing on the cake. Right. If you're talking about like trying to get all your food in and like a one-time eating window for like an intermittent faster, you know, that has pitfalls of its own where you're putting all the food in over a period of time. It's going to cause, it's a little bit harder to digest because you got to think of that food in your stomach like a ball, right? It's digesting from the outside and all that stuff kind of in the middle of the ball of food in the gut that's being absorbed is, you know, it's not touching the sides of the wall. It's not absorbing as quickly as, you know, s smaller meals over the day. Nothing wrong with doing intermittent fasting, but we have to come up, we have to realize that if a person eating 2,200 calories split over six meals is nowhere near sufficient in micronutrients, a person eating one meal a day that may not even come close to 2,200 calories probably much less likely of achieving that same end. Of course, nobody achieves it. So that's not a negative. It's just something we have to realize. Yeah. It's just looking at your diet and saying, how am I failing myself? And what can I do to support my body in the best way I can? So glad you brought up the intermittent fasting because I know a lot of my listeners are going to be on that train. Many are doing longer windows, like an 18-6 or 16-8. But then for those who are doing like one meal a day, if they are, you know, set 
on doing one meal a day, what would supplementation look like for them? Like, would they take water soluble vitamins through the fast and then spread out the fat soluble throughout the meal? Like, is it possible to hack this or is it just never going to be never going to work? Definitely possible to hack it. I mean, we have lots of people who are very successful on it. So, you know, we've done it I mean, ourselves. You're, <laughs> I, mean, I know you're familiar with Bulletproof Coffee and, you know, we're good friends with Dave and, and, and a lot of people who are doing intermittent fasting still use the Bulletproof Coffee and that's perfectly fine. But the Bulletproof Coffee provides you coffee, which does have a, a nice amount of antioxidants in it and it gives you the MCTO, but it doesn't take you out of the intermittent fast because fat and coffee don't spike insulin. All right. It's the protein that you have to watch out for, right? And carbohydrates. So you would use, we use our nutrients multivitamin the same way. So our nutrients multivitamin is already, it's patented. It's the only patented multivitamin in the United States. And it's patented to separate those competitions that we talked about. So you can absorb everything. So we have an AM and a PM. We're not separating the fat soluble from the water soluble. We're just separating there's fat soluble and water soluble and both they're just competing, separate the competing nutrients. Right, exactly. So you would use it very similarly to a Bulletproof where you, you could still use Bulletproof coffee on your own, but then at some point in the morning, you would take like the AM nutrients with fat, right? Long chain fat, not MCT. We don't want you the MCT. Remember Mira said, MCT medium chain triglycerides do not get utilized the same way as long chain fats. They don't secrete bile acid. So they create ketone bodies, which is great. But you don't, you need a long chain fat. We have another patented product called skinny fat. We developed specifically for this. It's part MCT. So you get all those same great benefits of MCT, but it's also organic long chain coconut oil as well. So that it gives you those long chain fats that we need for fat absorption. And you would do it the same exact way. It's a powdered vitamin. You literally put it in water with the skinny fat, tablespoon of skinny fat, blend it up, drink it down no insulin spike, you're still in full fast mode. Then later on in the day, three, four, five, six hours later, when you're still fasting, you do the PM with the fat. What this does is it provide, it gives you that full, it just repletes your body with all these great essential micronutrients that you absolutely need. And then when it comes to your eating time, again, it's icing on the cake. You're putting all those, that great nutrition. Hopefully you're still looking at food quality. You know, obviously we're big proponents of that. We wrote rich food, poor food, which is all about food quality. It is, you know, arguably the decisive book on food quality and teaching you how to find those foods. And we want you to do that. But our main goal is to make sure that you are sufficient in those micronutrients. So that by the end of the day, your body has everything that it needs to make you as healthy as possible. And for listeners, so if they were to take the AM and they don't do it with a Bulletproof coffee, will they basically just get the water-soluble, like absorb the water-soluble vitamins in that and not the fat-soluble? So, so some of these people, you th- you're thinking you would only have like a six-hour window where they can have any fat, correct? Right. Okay. That's what I was thinking. So if they basically, after the very first second they're done with that, when they first hit their break, take the AM with the fat, with the fat, the long-chain fats. So they take the shake there. Within an hour, they can be having their meal or that's when their feeding goes. And then at the very end, before they go back in, they can have the PM with the fat-soluble vitamins. I know a lot of people don't want to do the intermittent with the fat-soluble split up during their fasting period because they don't want to have the fat, but they can get both of those in in that six-hour period. That's fine. They just have to be separated from the beginning to the end. That's what I was going to ask. I was like, should they like open the fast with some fat in the AM? So literally what you just suggested. Yeah, absolutely. So as soon as it's done, get that first shake in, 
And if you're going to do it this way, let me add something else. Do not forget to put protein in your shake. And I know this might come as a shock to people, but here's the thing. And one of the major bits of research that is so different about Rebuild Your Bones is there is a magic number. There's a magic number that even if you had all your micronutrients, perfect. And you, in the studies, they said, even if you have your micronutrients, but if you leave out protein, you're not building bone. Protein is required. And it's not randomly required. There's a magic number, 0.545. Remember that number, 0.545 times your body weight in pounds. And that's going to tell you how much protein you need daily in order to build bone and maintain bone. That's the minimum amount. Minimum. Now imagine, most people, if you're getting one meal, are going to find it nearly impossible to get that number in. What can help them to get that number in, especially the intermittent fasters, is put protein in both of those shakes, protein powder in both of those shakes, a good quality grass-fed organic protein powder in those two shakes, and then take their meal in between. That way they have three opportunities to build their protein levels during that one break. Okay, I'm so glad you talked about the protein because that's one of the other things I've been haunted by, haunted, I tell you, is even though I do intermittent fasting and people say it's hard to get a lot of protein in, I eat a lot of protein, like a lot of protein, like a lot from meat and seafood. And so after I got the osteopenia, I was like, oh, what have I done? So then I was researching high protein diets and you know, there's all this idea that high protein diets are taxing on our bones because they're acidifying and they're, you know, pulling my calcium and micronutrients to balance the acid load, which you talk about this in the book, but would you like to talk about it right now as well for listeners? Absolutely. All right. So I'll poo-poo to them. (laughs) (laughs) All right. For people who aren't listening or aren't familiar with this, it's not, this is very typical for people who have bone issues, right? Because this is, you know, they say that you should choose foods that alkalize your your diet and these are things like vegetables and fruits nuts seeds and spices and you should try to stay away from what they call acid forming foods that are high protein foods such as meat fish eggs dairy and most legumes which of course you wouldn't be eating anyway in a paleo diet but so that's the basic idea of it but the problem is that it just does not stand up to research the alkaline diet what what happens is that when First, they're taking p-tests of of the alkaline and the acidity. So it's you know while while your urine does change alkalinity, your blood does barely changes at all. It's a very tightly monitored system. You can't just go around eating different foods, changing the alkalinity in your cells or in your blood. It, you know if you did that, you would literally die. The other side of the coin is that we absolutely the research, like Mira said, the. Def- Definitive research on bone density is that yes, when you eat as more acidic foods, you know the amount of calcium when the, when 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 your urine is more acidic, eating these foods comes out. There's more calcium in your urine. But what the scientists have did is say, let's take this one step further. There may be more calcium <laughs> in your urine, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're losing calcium. That is leaching it from the bone. What's actually happening when they when the researchers looked is that you're absorbing a lot more calcium when your protein levels are high, and that higher absorption level of calcium 
means that there is more calcium that that can be let go in your urine. You're still absorbing more overall than you would be if you had a, a alkaline diet. The other real problem, remember we talked about what kind of calcium I like and the calcium we like is calcium citrate because it brings its own acidity with it. Imagine drinking alkalized water or, or, or having alkalized foods only and not enough acidic food. That gut is being, re- the, the acid in your gut is being reduced so much that you're also reducing your ability to be able to absorb these essential micronutrients. This is where your body absorbs those, those very minerals and vitamins that you need. And so it's just, it's apt. We go through it. And we, I don't want to, you know, give you all of it here, but we go through it in the book and it's we a myth. look at it, claim one and claim two. And at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with eating what they consider to be alkalizing foods. We're not saying that those foods are good or bad. I mean, there are good. There's no doubt about that. They are good, but also you know, animal-based foods are very good for you too. Now, let's say somebody said, well, do I have to get my protein from an animal source? No, absolutely not. If you understand that plants, except for soy, do not have the essential amino acid profile, you know, that meat does, or the full spectrum of essential amino acids, and that you understand that if you're eating rice on its own, you have to add something like peas, or you have to add something like beans, so that you do get a full spectrum of essential amino acids, so that your body can do what it needs to with them, then that's perfectly fine. But no, you do not need to get it through animal, but we also do not have to be afraid of acid forming foods. Eating meat did not give you osteopenia. Believe me, there's plenty of people walking around who are eating very poor quality meats on a daily basis who do not have osteopenia. And I would, the last thing I want anybody to do is be drinking this alkalized water and these, and and this alkalized diet where their gut is, does not have the proper you know, digestive enzymes and, and, and acidic environment to be able to absorb what they need to absorb. And if they are doing it for some reason, do not drink it when you're taking your vitamins. If for some reason this or is eating. your, or eating, if, if this is your thing, like we always say, you do your thing. It's your dietary doctrine. But if you are doing that, keep it away from your food, keep alkalized water away from your food and away from your supplementation. You talked about how the pH of the blood in the cell is always maintained, that that's not, you know, going to change. So if a person eats like a high protein meal without sufficient micronutrients, though, with it compared to protein with micronutrients, in both cases, the blood and cells would probably look the same. But in the case where there's not the micronutrients, where are the micronutrients coming from to balance it? Are they coming from our bones? That's great. And I was just about to kind of, I was about to say the caveat or the exception to this rule is in the European Journal of Clinical Nutrition, they looked at this question of high protein and what they found, and this is a direct quote, they found that no clinical data supports the hypothesis of a detrimental effect of a high protein diet or an acid-based diet on bone health, except in a context of inadequate calcium supply. So yes, If you don't have enough calcium, this is where we're coming from with the supplementation. Remember, we want you to become sufficient in those essential micronutrients. If you're not sufficient in them, like we said, the body's going to allocate what it does have to what the body needs. Remember, let's say you're doing, you know, you're working out. We need calcium for muscle contraction. We need calcium for a lot of different things in the body. And if it doesn't have it, then it is going to steal it from the bone. But once we're sufficient in those essential micronutrients, 
those other, the, the, the issue of high protein goes out the door. So, so in this case, in some ways, they're kind of both right. There is a scenario where a high acid diet in a calcium deficient state could cause an issue. But if we're sufficient, and if we biohack this properly, and if we make sure that we have the essential calcium that our body needs in the correct amount, then we don't have to worry about this problem at all. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, because that's something I wonder, particularly like a lot of people on like the carnivore diet, and especially if they're not doing dairy, and even if they're eating like leaner meats, I always see this argument, they're like, well, blood doesn't change, cell doesn't change. I'm like, well, where... Where is the where is it coming from then? The micronutrients. Well, a lot yeah, of things right. are going to draw that calcium out of your bone. Sure. I mean, other things that draw your calcium out of bone is eating too many salty foods. Another thing is hydro is phosphoric acid. Oh yeah, can you expand on the salt? You talked about in the book about how the sodium can make our calcium levels in our blood rise, and but it can be misleading because it's actually you know pulling calcium. So high sodium diets will do that. High sodium diets, basically anyone who eats a lot of salty foods probably doesn't realize that as their body is eating these salty foods, it's part of a crave cycle. Your body, it's same thing with sugar. Your body craves it, so you eat it. But at the same time, your body has to balance out the calcium and the sodium. So what is it going to do? It's going to draw it out of your bone to help maintain that balance, leaving you even more depleted than when you first started. And the same is true of phosphoric acid. Your body wants to maintain a one-to-one balance of phosphorus to calcium. So your body puts in that phosphoric acid, which makes the soda bubble. That's what that comes from, is phosphoric acid. You ingest the phosphoric acid, and then it has to draw it out of your bone. That calcium is being leached simply because you had that soda pop. Not even to mention the sugar of the soda pop is doing the very same thing. But that's one reason we hate blood tests for calcium levels. Everyone comes to us and says, my doctor tested my blood levels and I have perfect calcium levels. Well, I would love to see somebody who doesn't on their doctor's blood. I was going to say, I've like never not had perfect calcium levels and I am pretty sure. I have perfect calcium levels. (laughs) I feel like everybody does. Well, there's a reason because your body, like Jason was talking about triage, your body's most important thing to do is contract that heart muscle, keep you breathing. So if your body is depleted of calcium, it's going to look hell or high water for some calcium in your body to help your heart beep. You know, so basically it's stealing it every single time from your bone. So your bones are getting weaker and weaker, but your blood levels look fantastic. So everyone comes to us with those tests and they're like, Oh, no, 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 it's not calcium because that's whatever. We do a spectra cell test on people, which test it in a completely different manner. And almost those people, nine times out of 10, will come deficient in calcium levels. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned spectra cell because I've heard that recommended from so many people now. And so I'll definitely put links to that in the show notes. Some quick rapid fire questions on the topic. So dairy, is dairy a magical food for bone or, or is it not? <laughs> Well, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a magical food for bone, but it does, it does, it's one of the foods that provides the most amount of calcium, you know? So if a person is, you know, having a hard time getting enough calcium or they, for whatever reason, are resistant to wanting to use too much supplementation, then, then dairy is really the way to do it. But you do not need dairy. No, there's nothing special about dairy over just taking, you know, regular micronutrients. No, it's always eat it or take it. I don't care how you get it in. (laughs) If you don't want to take something, don't want to eat something, that's up to you. I mean, look, K2 and Gouda cheese is amazing. 
really high levels and it's hard to get high levels of K2 from food. But if you're dairy-free, then be dairy-free. That's the whole idea of a Nutrivore. We're not going to tell you what to eat. That's your choice. We're going to tell you how to safeguard your personal decisions. Yep. Hi, friends. I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me. Oh my goodness, friends. I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it and it lasts for 14 hours. And it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first 
first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm gonna use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality, they're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit, that's what I have, and it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving, it's just really an amazing investment and they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon, or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off and that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine, and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits The longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the U.S. is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. 
And I can't not ask you about alcohol because you talk about that in the book and two sides to the coin. There was a fascinating study on alcohol comparing it to, I can't say it again, biphosphonates. What is the deal with alcohol or wine? This was great news for me, by the way, because I love my red wine and I certainly did not want to have to get rid of it. Now, look, there's a couple things wrong with alcohol. Yep. It decreases your pancreas, secretion of digestive enzymes. Too much of it can ruin your stomach lining. It can destroy your liver and it interferes with some nutrient absorption. But, and I'd much rather tell you this part, don't be a Debbie Downer and have a drink. In fact, have two because two small glasses of wine worked better than bisphosphonates at growing bone. And that's super cool because bisphosphonates make your bones crack and alcohol just makes you smile. <laughs> I know. Do you guys have any idea what the mechanism of action is behind that? You know, it's really, you know, I have alcohol theory. is such an interesting macronutrient. You know, a lot of times we think carbs, fats, proteins, that's the macronutrients, right? But alcohol is this fourth kind of redheaded stepchild and nobody really knows it works so differently whether or not you're in a carb metabolism or a ketogenic fat metabolism. It is a fascinating macronutrient and, and it really does work so totally differently. The other thing is, you know, over the seven years that we traveled around the world living with remote tribes on every continent of this earth, there was always an alcoholic component, even in the most remote tribes. You know, alcohol is one of those things that, you know, we don't know necessarily why it works so well. I mean, there's, there's lots theory, of different theories. And if any of your biohackers have any information, I would love to hear it because I can't find anything that's helping me get any further in this concept. But I'm going to put it out there and it could be a whack job, I'll, you know, but I think that it actually, your body is fighting itself all the time. And I think that it actually numbs your body's natural approach. Like if you are supposed to be breaking down bone because your osteoclasts are working too hard, I think it actually numbs that natural thing that your body's trying to do and it gives it a break. So like an anti-autoimmune. Like an, I think anti-autoimmune. Like it's, it's, it's going to stop anything your body is overdoing. And I would love to see if anyone has anything about autoimmune disease and and just any type of information about how alcohol will maybe stop your body from fighting itself. I saw something on this like years ago and I haven't been able to find anything since. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know, the other thing a lot of people don't talk about with alcohol is the benefit of that alcohol is fermented. You know, we talk about fermented foods and kimchi and yogurts and everything, but alcohol is also fermented and it has its own beneficial bacteria that are unique to it, you know, and specifically in red wine, but all wine. So it's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. One of the research studies, a Finnish research study back from 2013, found that women who drank more than three alcoholic drinks actually had significantly higher bone density than, in, than people who, who abstained from alcohol. And the funny thing about that research study is that the women that they interviewed <laughs> didn't want to admit they drank more than three a day, but the women were drinking much more than that. <laughs> When I wrote What, When, Why, and I dived really deep into the literature, and there's just a lot of research on, I mean, a lot of it, obviously, epidemiological or correlational, but I don't know. There just seems to be something potentially magical about alcohol, especially if it's in the form of wine. There was actually a study that came out like a month ago. It was in rats, granted, but they basically fed rats you know, a diet made to make them obese, and they had some rats that were just on a control, like eating normal and drinking water. Then they had some rats that were given this awful, awful diet and drinking water. And then they had some rats that were eating the awful, awful diet, but all of their water was alcoholic. They didn't have any of the problems like from the diet. 
Like they didn't gain weight. They like didn't have metabolic issues. I mean, it was, I was like, this is mind blowing. The calories don't work the same. It's very similar with MCT and regular fat as well. You know, MCT is eight calories per gram as opposed to nine. It, it works very differently in the body too. You know, I think it's one of those things that there's so much benefit to it. We do have to watch out. I mean, you know, it's like, like, like every good diet out there where everybody's like, well, my diet's the absolute best diet. I'm sure it is the best diet for you, but there are flaws to it. The same thing with alcohol. While we can quote study after study after study showing benefits of alcohol, we can also show you that if you do it too often, don't take time off, don't give your body an opportunity to heal, or don't have the right micronutrients to take the gaps of what that, might, what that alcohol is depleting, you will still have problems. I mean, it's not so magical. You still have to get in the right amount of micronutrients to cover the losses from the alcohol you're drinking. Melanie? Uh-huh. Can I just, so we talked about micronutrients and we talked about protein, but I just don't want to leave anyone without talking about omega-3 because it is another thing that no one's ever talked about in an osteoporosis book. And the science is so, is so clear on it that it would be totally remiss if we didn't just, because if, you know, doing one thing great, doing two things great, but unless you actually add in the omega-3, it's like, we've like left you with one arm. You know, I just, I just want to make sure, I just want to make sure we talk about inflammation a little bit and I'm sorry to. Oh no, no, no. Literally my obsession right now and has been probably for quite a while is omega-6 polyunsaturated fats. And I'm like pretty convinced they're one of the worst things like that we could like art, basically the overload of them, potentially seed oils. Oh my God. I was so afraid you were going to say one of the best things. <laughs> I, I almost how I'm going to deal with this. Oh no, 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 no. Cause people think it's like, you know, carbs or fat or, you know, all the stuff I'm like, try cutting out those omega-6s. Like, please, just please. So yeah. So omega-3, the flip side, what's going on there? One of the, okay. If you're going to get a spectral and whatever, one of the other tests that every single person should be having right now is an omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. We, with our clients, we always want to have them. One-to-one is where we like to be. Four-to-one is like the gold standard, but most people are more like 25-to-one. It is literally causing your body to blow up with inflammation and that is causing diseases. And the link to osteoporosis is extremely clear. Yeah. In the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, there was a study done and they concluded, quote, a higher ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids is associated with a lower bone mineral density at the hip in both sexes. This is the omega-6 to omega-3 connection and the ratio is one of the core foundations of health. Obviously, first and foremost, you must have your essential vitamins and minerals in place. Secondly, you must have your, your, your essential fatty acids balanced. And thirdly, you must have a full spectrum of essential amino acids. If those three things are not met, then optimal health is impossible. I don't care what anyone says. They, I'm in great shape. If you don't have those three things balanced, you are not in what we would consider to be great shape. So the idea of omega-3 to omega-6, you know, it's a two-fold equation. And we went over in the book, and I, we actually used a person who was following a paleo diet as kind of an example. But the problem is following a, a really good diet does give you a lot of omega-3, but it gives you a ton of omega-6. So in, in, the, in the example we used in the book, the woman's name was Wilma, and she followed a paleo diet, which is great. And she, if you read it, you'll think she's having that, like the healthiest day of her life. I mean, she's having salmon, she's having salads. She's yeah. literally, 
it sounds like she'd be doing great. It does. And she actually is doing great. She has a 15 to 1 ratio of omega-6 to omega-3, which is well below the average. But the problem occurs when we start to look at the milligrams of omega-6 to omega-3. Well, it sounds great because she had 2481 milligrams of omega-3, which is more than most Americans will ever consume in an actual day. Right. And the the RDI is 1,600. So So she's actually over. But the problem is the 37,308 milligrams of omega-6. And that is a problem. When you think of a fish oil pill now, which is kind of the standard omega-3 way to get omega-3 into the into the body a fish oil pill is on average a thousand milligrams of fish oil which isn't all epa or dha but let's just round number it it's it's a thousand milligram right so in order to make up the basically thirty-five thousand milligrams that you're going to need you're going to need about 35 fish oil pills no one's taking 35 fish oil pills And the problem becomes even worse when you start to understand that just like certain vitamins and minerals that compete for receptor sites like the D and the K and the calcium and the magnesium, EPA and DHA also compete for absorption. So this is a lot of, you know, people often ask us, why do you think krill has such a better absorption rate than fish oil? Because krill naturally has more EPA than DHA. Less competition involved. Mind blown moment here right now. Okay. Right. So the, so the, uh, the objective is to try to get as much EPA and DHA in as possible. That's why, again, we created Origin Omega, a patented form of fish oil where we literally separate the EPA into the morning and the DHA at night. Two so there is no capsules. competition. Right. You get all that 1500 milligram you know, in the daily dose of EPA and DHA with no competition. That's so important. But even if you were to take up to 3000 milligrams, which is really the clinical dose that you, that you want to take, there's no way you're going to offset that other, you know, basically 32,000 milligrams of, of omega-6. So we need to do exactly what you're recommending. We need to educate people as to where the omega-6 is located and drive it down by reducing those foods. And a lot of those foods are what we consider to be healthy. Now, as far as osteoporosis goes, it's literally one of the keys because if you have more omega-6 than omega-3, your body makes osteoclasts, which destroy your bone. But if you can reverse that and have more omega-3 going in, you're going to make osteoblasts that are going to build your bone. And this is so scientifically known that the drug companies created a drug called Prolia or rank ligand inhibitors, which is mimicking the exact thing that, that omega-3 does in your body. We were actually introduced to the woman, the scientist that reverse engineered the rank ligand inhibitor drug. And that is exactly what they did. They said, we took what EPA and DHA did naturally in the body when they were in high enough doses and we created a drug out of it because first of all, you can't patent EPA and DHA and well, you can patent the formulation, but not the actual thing. So there's no money in it. And nobody's actually a one-to-one ratio. I mean, you can walk around, take a hundred people randomly on the street and I guarantee you they will not be at one-to-one. So unless they know how to get there, they're not going to achieve it where this rank ligand inhibitor is going to do it naturally and not naturally through pharmaceutical means. But the problem with the pharmaceutical means is while yes, it will increase your bone density, the rank ligand inhibitor interrupts what, what that rank and rank L are supposed to be doing in the body. And they have other jobs too. So when they 
you immune know, system health. Yeah, it's it's you know, it, by 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 using the drug and non natural means of the EPA and DHA, you reduce and 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 really put your body at risk. There's so many negative side effects. Whereas with EPA and DHA, it works perfectly with no side effects. We put all of our osteoporosis clients on our Origin Omega, which separates the EPA and the DHA, and we actually give them the clinical dose. So most people will take one in the morning and one at night. If you have osteoporosis or you're really trying to fight inflammation take two in the morning and two at night. We have never had one person come back without a near perfect under four to one ratio. Wow. And is this in junction with they're cutting down their omega-6s? In exactly. conjunction with. So yeah, we do. And so, you know, we cut that, we show them the list of the foods and then we have them either reduce or eliminate them, you know, based on their dietary protocol. And again, even if we are reducing some of the foods that are people's favorites, you know, a lot of the shockers are like nuts and seeds, right? So nuts and seeds not only have all five anti-nutrients, but they're also very <laughs> high in omega-6. Like for instance, almonds are like a 2000 to one ratio of omega-6 to omega-3. So it's hard to make up the difference. And it ancestors- doesn't mean you never come back to them. You can still come back to them down the line, but first let's heal the bone. Yeah. I mean, our ancestors didn't like make things with nut flour. I mean, I understand that we like to think that it's a really great convenience, but you try collecting nuts and then like (laughs) grinding it up and making bread. Like it's a silly thing. I think I'm just hoping if I like say it enough, because it seems like such healthy foods, like you talk about in the book, you know, nuts and seeds and, but I'm just like, ah. And oils. Think about olive oil and avocado oil. They're all the rage in these, you know, paleo biohacking communities, but that's a 13 to one ratio, guys. 13 to 1 ratio. I mean, the reason why we made skinny fat and patented it was so that we can have a zero omega-6 oil that you can use as salad dressings, you can cook with at the same temperature, same way you could cook with coconut oil. Has no coconut flavor, but delivers no omega-6. Does it have monos in it or is it just saturated or... Well, there's some monos. It's mostly saturated because it's organic coconut oil and MCT oil, which are mostly saturated fats, although there is some monounsaturated fat in coconut oil. So, you know, there is some, but there's nothing wrong with saturated fat in this particular instance because we are reducing the omega-6 inflammation completely. And we do, we do make an olive oil one too, that reduces the omega-6s by 85%. It tastes just like olive oil, but it actually has 85% less omega-6. Okay. Wow. And so 85% less. I mean, think about it. Every tablespoon is not, it's okay to have it in your salad dressing, but it's not even that. It's just like dark meat chicken. That's 14 to one ratio. And yet, you know, if you're doing a carnivore diet or if you're a keto dieter and you're trying to get the fat up, you're going to eat dark meat chicken. It's like things that you still think and are still healthy. And we don't want you to get rid of it all, but we want you to understand what it's doing to your levels. 100%. I know you've been talking for a long time. I have one more question because we didn't touch on this topic. Is it possible to rebuild your bones if you're not doing some sort of osteogenic loading exercise? It's actually the same study that I mentioned before that said that if you're taking calcium and D, but not taking protein, it won't work. The scientist then went one step further. And there's actually a quote in the book, and I don't have it offhand, but he says that basically, even if you're doing all the other things, but you're not osteogenic loading, you again are going to put yourself in a, in a situation where you cannot build bone well. So osteogenic loading is a specific kind of weight-bearing exercise where you're putting a very intense load or a lot of weight onto those bones. It's like what gymnasts do when they land real hard, and that's why they have very strong bones. That's why astronauts do not have strong bones because they have no load on their bones. 
So doing osteogenic loading is very important. It's very hard to do it without proper machines, especially when you might be a weaker adult. But osteogenic loading is, is extremely important and we support OsteoStrong. They sell our products. We very much believe in their equipment and it's very safe. Yeah, it's kind of like saying to me, you know, is it possible to be a bodybuilder without lifting weights? I mean, you know, anything's possible. Anything's possible. And certainly there has been research that has shown increase in, of bone mineral density and people were not doing osteogenic loading. But at the end of the day, if we're trying to rebuild our bones to, you know, to the greatest extent and to give ourselves the greatest advantage, we definitely want to do an osteogenic load. And remember, you know, if you go into the gym for a long time, people have said, oh, just go do weight bearing exercise. But what in the world does that mean? How is weight bearing exercise different from osteogenic loading? So it was completely different. So osteogenic loading is basically defined as a 4.2 times your body weight. That is the number that science has shown stimulates bone growth, 4.2. So for a 120-pound person, they would need to load 504 pounds to build bone. Not they're not, likely. They're not doing 504-pound <laughs> you know, uh, squats or bench presses or shoulder presses or anything. So, you know, so there are ways that we can create this load through, you know, so, so when you run, you get like, you get close to like a, like a three, 3.6, but you know, like when you jump rope or when you hop up and down, if you can do that, if you see the problem is so many people who are, have osteoporosis also have bad knees and bad hips and they're frail already. So, you know, a specialized machine like an OsteoStrong would be perfect for them. They've got the patent on that osteogenic load machine. And remember, do it now while you're strong enough to do the exercises, we'll make it so that you don't break and so that you don't have to look at this and be like, oh, I wish I could do the exercises. Osteogenic loading in, a, in the gyms at OsteoStrongs is possible for anyone of all levels. But this jumping and hopping that Jason was talking about, you really have to be you know, somewhat fit for so that you don't fracture. Right. We were able to do that with Mira because she was young enough and she was fit enough to be able to not once, first. not at first, but <laughs> once she was starting to move, we were able to do it in a safe environment. And we do have people on the program who are doing things like that in a safe environment, hopping up on on one leg, up and down, kind of behind a chair, hanging onto the back of the chair, you know, a, you know, 50, 60, 70 times. That can create these loads. But we also want people to be very careful if you've got osteoporosis or osteopenia, because an injury can set you way back. And that's not what we're looking for. So is it created from the force on the bone when you're like landing or is it from pushing off of the ground? Impact. No, the landing, the impact. That's why like... Wow. So it's a force done to you in a way. You're, yeah, that yeah, you're so basically doing to yourself. Like it's, when you're the landing. Force, it's the force of your body hitting the ground. Now, of course, gravity gives us a little bit of that even when we're walking, but it's not enough to build bone. But that's why it's, you know, if you imagine how hard you hit the ground is going to be what does it. There's actually an app, I think, and I don't remember the name of it offhand, where you can actually jump off and you can have your phone with you and actually tell you what your impact is. It's nearly impossible to get, you know, unless you're a really fit person to get to osteogenic loading. But there are, I mean, you know, there's safe ways to do it if you're in good shape. So fascinating. So could you get that app and like jump and dance around, assuming you're like young enough or, you know, not going to risk a fracture or something like that? Like, jump around and dance around and it'll tell you. I'd recommend everyone jump around. I mean, literally, even if you are a healthy person, I'd recommend that like some sort of exercise you do has impact. And there's all sorts of other benefits to osteogenic loading. I mean, they're doing a lot of research with elite athletes <laughs> on osteogenic loading. Science is really coming along. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. 
the science also shows that if you want to hit an osteogenic load, you know, the average person would have to, you know, you know, you know, those boxes that a lot of these CrossFit people kind of jump up on and down on. If you have like one of these boxes and it, you start at a, at a lower inch, maybe three, four inches, and then work your way up to nine inches, nine inches where you stand on a secure box and then just hop down to a semi-solid floor. That is the distance that will achieve a very nine inches will achieve a basic load. And so that's, that's what the research shows. If people are wanting to look in closer to that. One very last quick question about this. How fast can these changes be made and on both ways is like deterioration and then rebuilding. For instance, like about three weeks ago, I had my deviated septum fix. So surgery on my face. And then I was not allowed to to pick up anything heavier than an iPad for two weeks. And it was very upsetting. So like how fast, if you, you know, stop these activities, does the bone potentially get worse? And then how fast can it potentially get better? After one week of complete bed rest, and I'm not sure if you had complete bed rest, but one week of complete bed rest, your muscle strength can decrease by as much as 20 to 30%. And bone loss can be seen in as little as three weeks of bed rest. Okay. Wow. So it's, you know, it doesn't take, it doesn't take long for your body to start deteriorating. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, we've got people who are in osteopenia and osteoporosis states who have gotten back to us. Now, listen, this is not a claim. We are not claiming that everybody can do this, but I'm just saying on the, on the far amazing side of things, people have contacted us and had their DEXA scan three months after starting the program and already starting to see an increase in bone density. Now that, again, not for everyone, but that shows that the bone can rebuild or start to rebuild within a three-month period. And of course, like we said, with Mira, it took two years before we felt comfortable enough, you know, because we were afraid. We were so afraid that we were going to see no results or the results well, we weren't going to be good. But we didn't know that it was going to be complete. <laughs> right. But we fell after two years and then, and it was obviously already way into normal range. So we don't know exactly how long it took her either, but but her protocol was, you know, we were PC, we were, we were building the plane while we were flying it, so to speak, right? So we weren't doing everything perfect from the beginning, but for a person doing everything perfect, we have 40 healing habits in the book and we give you a few of those healing habits each week. That's why it's a 12-week protocol. It's, it's not, not 12, 12 weeks to rebuild your bones. It's 12 weeks to, it's an on-ramp to a lifestyle that will rebuild and keep your bones strong. Yeah, this is so incredible, listeners. Like I said, definitely get Rebuild Your Bones. It's all in there. So thank you so much for having us to talk about this because this was like literally my passion project. Trying to get a publisher to pay attention to bone health was not the easiest thing in the world, but I'm so glad that they allowed us to put this information down and just thankful that you're, you know, first of all, you have a personal reason to share it, but just just so thankful that you wanted to discuss this with us today. Yeah, and for people also who may be wondering, you know, I wonder if I'm deficient in my micronutrients. We'll also give you a link to our micronutrient sufficiency quiz, which is basically reverse engineered, you know, every aspect of the person's life. It's basically 50 questions that we ask from diet to, you know, to over-the-counter and prescription drug use to lifestyle habits that can give us a pretty clear picture of... What, how micronutrient sufficient or deficient a person is. And I think that's always kind of a good thing to do. And then we have another quiz we can give you a, a link to as well called, it's a compare your multivitamin quiz. And it allows you to actually take your current multivitamin that you're using now, plug in about like, I think there's about 30 questions there 
and using specifics from your multivitamin. And then we'll give you a, a fair evaluation of that. We'll tell you where the strengths are of that multi. We'll also tell you where some of the pitfalls are. So, and it's a, it's a, it's a very good evaluation for people who just want to, who are curious as to whether or not what they're using now may be the best thing for them. Yeah. So for listeners, I will put links to all of this in the show notes. Again, the show notes will be at melanieavalon.com slash bone health. Oh my goodness. This interview, thank you so much for your time, Mira and Jason. This has been absolutely incredible. I know reading your book, especially after my personal diagnosis, gave me so much hope and you completely blew my mind and shifted my entire paradigm of how I view nutrients, bone health, health in general, so many things. The very last question I ask every single guest on this podcast, and it's just because I have come to realize more and more each day how important mindset is surrounding everything. So what is something that you're grateful for? Well, right now I have to be, we are living on the island of Anguilla right now. Where is that? It's um, near St. Martin in the Caribbean. Oh, wow. There is zero COVID. Wow. They're not letting anybody in, I bet, to the island. Not letting anybody in. And we're really thankful that we landed here in such a beautiful place that's COVID-free, but also that the government's allowing us to work with the people here to try to reduce diabetes and obesity. So it ended up that we ended up here, and now we have the benefit of working with the locals and trying to help out while here. Since it's COVID-free, are there no restrictions or anything? No restrictions. Haven't had a mask once. No. And how long have you been there? Since March. Seven months. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And we have no plans of leaving. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. And FYI, they're inviting people who want to live here long-term. If you have questions, feel free to contact us because <laughs> that's actually, that's their plan actually, which re- reopening, which I think is very smart is people who have freedom to live other places. That's their plan rather than just tourism. Wow. I got to look into this. <laughs> built in (laughs) I know I got two (laughs) all right well thank you again this has been so amazing and for listeners if you would like to get any of the supplements made by the Caltons to help support your bone health you can get a discount site-wide I am so grateful for that just go to melanieavalon.com slash micronutrients and use the coupon code avalon do you guys have any other books in the works in the future we are. We are. We are working. We're, our next book is was actually one of the first books that we wrote. It goes back to the macronutrients. So in my past, uh, you know, I used to, I was one of the early creators of the ketogenic diet a long, long time ago, back in the nineties. And it's we feel like it's time for the evolution of of that diet, something that's completely different. And so that's what we're working on now. And it's not just keto. And it's not, it's not <laughs> just keto. It's, it, it's, it's a completely new take on it. So it will combine our micronutrient therapy, which is all of our books thus far have been on, with this new macronutrient concept, which has at least in part some keto to it. But it's, and it will uh, have been tested takes, out on many, yeah. many people in Anguilla. Yeah, we're excited <laughs> about it. That is really exciting. Okay. Well, hopefully when it comes out, I want to read it. And hopefully you guys will be down for coming back on for that book. Absolutely. hundred percent. And we want to hear about your, I mean, we want to stay in touch with you too and make sure that we help you if we can, you know, take care of this osteopenia because that's uh, something that we should be able to do really with your knowledge and your determination and your ability. I'm sure that we will be able to take care of that pretty quickly. Well, thank you so much. That 
I'm just so happy. I was happy at the beginning, happy throughout, happy now. You guys are just the best. And I think my listeners are really going to love this. So thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having us. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.